0: Welcome to The Rational Egoist. I'm your host, Michael Leibowitz. Today's guest is the managing editor at Fee.org, and he's also written for publications such as Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and Time Magazine. Jonathan Miltimore, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing fantastic and glad to have you. So what brought you to my attention was I read an article that you wrote about Sweden's approach to the coronavirus when it first hit. And how they compared to other countries in sort of in terms of fatalities and infections and whatnot. So what exactly was Sweden's approach to this thing?
1: Yeah, you know, I've been writing about Sweden for you know at least three years now in its pandemic policy. And if you go back to um, late March or early April of 2020, I an article, you know, say you know just asking, can could you know Sweden's laissez-faire approach to the coronavirus actually work? And when I say laissez-faire, so Sweden was a country it took an approach it didn't lock down in in, in 2020. Now there are other countries that had kind of you know less aggressive you know, some would say tyrannical approaches, um, to COVID mitigations, but Sweden, they, did they have some restrictions? Like they, they, there were some like, but they never shut down. They never closed schools. They never closed, you know, restaurants and businesses. They did have some capacity restrictions, you know, on like, you couldn't have crowds of hundreds of people or, you know, things like that. Um, but society stayed pretty normal. And if you look back, people thought sweden you know was the they're losing their mind because if you remember how frightened people were in march 2020 and in, in april 2020 um you had all these articles written that you know i in my article i i cite a new york times story saying the new york new york times said you know sweden is the cautionary tale you know and they're, they're saying they're going to get all these people killed um and you can you can find dozens of articles with headlines like that, you know, like um, and the whole time I was watching, it, I'm like, well, Sweden's numbers aren't very different than these other countries. Um, and if you look, you know, you could especially you, can, you can compare them to, the, to modelers, the people who are, you know, to step back a little bit and to understand why nations went into lockdown, right? Like at first that wasn't going to happen. Um, and then China went into this very, very strict lockdown and people started of think, well, if China's doing it, maybe we should do it. Um, people started to get frightened when they saw some of the numbers coming out of Europe. And there was a change in policy that said, okay, you know, maybe, you know, what we need to do is just shut, shut everything down. And, you know, if you, if you try to open your business, you're going to be arrested. Um, that approach always seemed a little crazy to me and it was different than anything that had been tried before in you know in the previous century during pandemics we had other pandemics um and so sweden did try to you know this other approach um but again it was tried because modelers predicted 40 million people would die within by the end of the year if, if we didn't take these lockdowns approach this approach and Sweden, you know, like, like modelers projected Sweden, when they, they, they were, you know, kind of flirting with not shutting down, they said Sweden would, would have close to a hundred thousand deaths by the, you know, by the end of the year. So we're talking about a period of eight or nine months, Sweden didn't lock down. That didn't happen. So Sweden, like every other country, people died of the coronavirus, right? It's a deadly virus going around. And, um, especially we saw different strains that was really highly contagious. And, but the modelers were were astronomically wrong in their projections. Um, so three years later, uh, I'm trying to I'm giving you the the short version. But three years later, we have you know a lot of data now, um, and there's different data sets depending on what you look at. There's some you know like Sweden's government has its own numbers that show like like its its country's excess mortality is the best in all of Europe, and these numbers have kind of been making the rounds on social media um and they show like excess mortality in, in sweden in, in 2020 2021 2022 is about three percent three and a half percent and that's much much lower than other countries the new york times an article i i kind of read about they, they they have some problems with those numbers they don't think that they factor in um they're not adjusted for age and some other things but the author of the uh you know article david wallace wells who's a pulitzer prize winning uh journalist does concede like like Sweden's policy was not a disaster. He says it says very average, right? They like they didn't do all these things that were going to supposed to protect people and yet it's it's you know COVID mortality um was much much lower than countries like UK, France, Germany, Italy, all these other countries that had very strict lockdowns. Um and I think it's important that we not just move on to the next crisis, right? I think um we need to really learn some of the lessons of this pandemic and i think we do need to look back and 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 take a careful look at at what sweden did and say wow you know what they really they really did get this pandemic mostly right and that's there there is a quote in the new york times article again this is the times who was really excoriating sweden in 2020 2021 where they said the biggest lesson from this is that we don't need to use you know or, or we can largely forgo these really coercive policies, and that's what this was really about. Um, we we saw public health agencies shift from for years. Public health agency their, their their job was to make recommendations, right? Like they they said, okay, hey, here's what we recommend. We saw a shift and said that they they weren't just recommending; they were they were advocating for us. They wanted to shut all shut all these things down, um, and we weren't just going to recommend a mask if you didn't wear a mask. We could arrest you or we could shut down your business. Um, those are things that, um, you know, I, I think looking back, th- this is this is the kind of approach I think we really need to be careful about because it, it really, it did politicize this pandemic in a way it never should have been. And, it, you know, you look at Dr. Fauci, he was always, going, oh, you know, people are politicizing this. No, he politicized this. Once you start to take public health, And say, we're not making recommendations anymore. If you don't do what we say, we're going to take your livelihood. We might take your freedom. And um, I think that's why we went through this period of two, three years. That was utter madness.
0: So I agree with you 100% about lockdowns. I take a bit of a different approach because I'm not a consequentialist. I'm ultimately, I come from the individual rights perspective. And I just don't think the government ought to be telling people how they live their lives. So let me just be clear about that. I'm not a guy for lockdowns, but there are some, uh, objections or explanations also to the, the, you know, the case you just laid out. So I'd like to go over a few points with you. Sure. First, some, you know, people might say, okay, it's true that Sweden was basically in the middle of the pack as far as fatalities and infection rates and whatnot, comparative to Europe. But they'll say that that's not the proper point of comparison. The proper point of comparison would be the other Nordic countries, the countries that surround it. And those countries, from what I could gather, had far less fatality rates, far lower rate, the fatality rates than did Sweden. So what, is that an is that a adequate description of events? Is that a, a good critique of the sort of defense of Sweden? How would you respond to that?
1: Yeah, no, you you bring up a point um, that a lot of people bring up, right? And I've been writing about that, you know, for at least a couple of years too. And, and David Wallace Wells mentions this in his in his article as well. So you you are you bring up a, something that's common to the you know when we come come up with these debates about Sweden's policy. And here's what here's what people don't realize: Sweden Sweden did become like this focal point, right? The laissez-faire country that didn't lock down at all, because, um, like I said, they had some. They never took a let it rip approach. They had some you know, modest restrictions and, and so forth. What people don't realize is that they, they roll out Finland and Norway, like look, they even did it better. They don't realize that Finland and Norway had policies less restrictive than Sweden for, for months and months and months in 2020. And and again, this isn't me saying I have written about it, but David Wallace-Wells makes this point in the article as well. And we have this data set from Oxford University, and it's the COVID stringency index. And people can Google it and they can find it. And you can um, compare countries based on how aggressive um they they their governments, you know, had had COVID policies. And you'll see Finland and Norway, um, somewhere about the summer after the, again, these countries went into lockdown for a little bit, but then they quickly eased up and they had policies that were very uh, laissez-faire right that they that, that were actually less restrictive than, than sweden um and you know people you could argue hey well well sure the numbers are better um was it because they were less restrictive than Sweden or was it because they locked down there for a few weeks back in, you know, th- th- those are fair points. Um, and um, I don't think, I don't think anybody will, will really have a good answer on that question. Um, but I think that the, the biggest lesson in what I'm saying is this uh, Finland and, and Norway were not um, these States that took aggressive approaches uh, to COVID. Okay. They had, they had, they were much closer to Sweden than the UK or Germany or the United States. Um, you know, again, I'd encourage any listeners go, go play around with that index. You'll see Finland, Norway had, had policies in in their index, like they were in the thirties, right? Um, those are some of the lowest rates you'll see in all of Europe. Um, so my theory is these, these countries, um, looked at Sweden's policy and said, well, All everybody over here, life's still going on pretty normal. And, they're not having, you know, these these mass mass amounts of deaths like we were told. Again, we were projected. The modelers told us 100,000 people were going to die. Well, that's clearly not happening over here. Let's and, and they adopted policies that were similar to Sweden's. So um, you 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 bring that point up to people who, you know, I I I think they kind of sputter around. They don't have a real good response to that. The truth is, these other Nordic countries, these Scandinavian countries, had policies that were much closer to Sweden's and different.
0: Okay, so as the pandemic rolls on, the other Nordic countries kind of move towards Sweden. But isn't it also true that as of December 2020, that Sweden started implementing more restrictive policies, uh, strongly suggesting masks, if they didn't outright mandate them, I, I can't quite remember. And uh, you know they started limiting gatherings more and ultimately they had vaccine passports in Sweden. So how do we know that, As those other countries went toward Sweden and Sweden went toward those other countries, they didn't sort of hit a equilibrium point where, okay, we're at about the same place now, and then the numbers kind of level out and become more commensurate.
1: Yeah, no, I think you make a good point. Like, like this is something that I talk about in my article and in, in Wallace Wells talks about. Um, Sweden became a, a highly, because they skipped lockdowns entirely, but this shouldn't, you know, uh, people should understand, like I just mentioned, it wasn't like they had the most laissez-faire p- policy in the world. And as you point out, like later on, because of political pressure, let's not forget, you know, Anders yeah. Tegnell, who was, who was um, the architect of Sweden's, you know, policy, was getting death, death threats. Like, um, he was, people were trying to get him fired. All this stuff. There was massive, massive pressure on Sweden to adopt approaches that were a little bit more in line with other countries. And, and they, they did some of that. Um, and you know, you, you look at these things, um, you you can crunch the numbers. The biggest problem people make. With, with these things is, is again, they, they want to, they want to focus just solely on, on COVID deaths and things like this. We, we saw quickly. That's a mistake. You can't, you can't focus on just this one sliver of thing and. Neglect to look at this huge other picture, which is why I like to look at excess mortality data instead of just COVID mortality, because you know there there was a great article we had on this early in the pandemic. You can't save lives; you can only trade lives. And when you make interventions of this kind, you are you are costing you know lives in other places are lost, right? Um, It can be you know we, we saw the World Bank data over this how how global poverty extreme poverty surged when, when we did all these things, we we will we'll be looking and trying to figure out for the next decade, how many people um were pushed into poverty and how many people, you know, were, were are going to starve be, be, because of this, you had suicide rates, you had drug abuse, you had alcohol abuse, all these things um, play a role. And, you know, if we focus just on COVID mortality, um, you know, but the, the truth is I do think you can look at COVID mortality and, and look at these policies and say, you know what? These didn't really these didn't really do what we thought they were going to do. Um, and if you look, epidemiologists have been talking about this for for decades and decades and decades and we, we've had other highly you know deadly and contagious you know respiratory viruses and and people always decided society always decided no we can't do that. It's going to be worse. This time we, we tried something else and I think we had the, the worst of, of both worlds because we didn't protect many lives. Um, and again, I think there was a way to protect people. I think if you look at like the signers of the Great Barrington De- Declaration, it said we can we can focus on people who are actually the most vulnerable to this virus, right? And and try to make sure we have sensible policies and recommendations in place to help them. Um, but we didn't take that approach. It, it, it was it, we took this approach where, you know. Children who are all but impervious to COVID, um, we're, we're suddenly we're going to shut down their lives, uproot their lives as well. Um, we, we, we weren't discriminating at all on age when when that, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so I, I think you know we will look back and say the the policies we took were were catastrophic because not only did they you know protect very few people. It, it caused all this collateral damage. And that's I think a lesson we need to have. You can't just have infectious disease experts involved in these policies. They need, they're part of the conversations, but you need economists. You need ethicists, right? You need other people that can say, well, well, is is it is it really the right thing to do? to make someone take a vaccine um you know cause psychologists it's, it's, too right M-
0: mental yeah, health yeah
1: psychologists actually. yes absolutely you need to have more conversation the problem is they didn't want to have those conversations they did not want those conversations they wanted to to set up the rules and have people follow the rules and if you didn't follow the rules um they were going to bring down you know hell and thunder on you and i i think that's you know like we need to be very, very careful um to me you look at what happened; it's obvious. Central planners don't have the knowledge to control this, you know, vast system in a way that makes sense. Um, the central planners—they're really good at coming up with a plan. They're really good at enforcing their plan, but when it comes to that—that that plan executing in a way that actually makes sense. No, like, and we we can't make we can't make economies right because we know how how complex it is to try to sen- centrally plan them. So uh, th- th- this is why I think a lot of libertarians, not, not enough libertarians, sadly, but, but but why more libertarians got this right than others because libertarians have. A suspicion of central planning we say well it's really hard you know economies are complex and and it, a virus is no different like like the idea of just having people social distance or or wear a mask while they walk into a restaurant and then take it like all of these things they don't make sense um, even the lockdowns didn't make sense right because the hardware stores right here is closed down guess what the liquor store is open why weren't liquor stores closed? <laughs> it's it's a, a real. I'll give you a real question. Why weren't? It's funny. Some people aren't even aware of this. You're like, no, liquor stores didn't remain open. I'm like, what planet are you on? Of course they did. I, in fact, I'm not sure you can find one state that that shut down liquor stores. But, but, but it's a real question. Why do you think liquor stores weren't shut down?
0: If I had a guess, I'd guess they had a strong lobby. But I, I really have no. I'm not, I have no definitive answer, but I, I think they probably
1: had a strong lobby to stay open. They got a decent lobby. I, I would say politicians did not want to fight that battle, right? You know, it, people are going to go down into the lockdown a lot easier if they have their beer. You take away their <laughs> beer, you take away their booze. That's a different story. That was a so, so my point is politics dictated that. Politicians. I want to say we're smart enough. They were smart enough, like because they knew their policy would go down easier if if people were had their beer and with, the booth. It was chased with a Jack and Coke. <laughs> exactly. You take that away, and you were going to have a bunch of pissed off people, and it, <clears throat> there there was going to be a lot more uproar.
0: So it sounds to me like what you're describing is like a, a Hayekian knowledge problem, where there's so many new moving parts to a society that any uh, central committee or or board that you put together that tries to sort of regulate it all simply doesn't have the information and can't have the information. And you don't know ultimately how people are going to respond. Like you can mandate, for instance, and say, well, you have to wear a mask, but then what about the people that are going to rebel against that people who may have, if you suggested it said, Oh, maybe it's a good idea to wear a mask. But when you mandate it, say, Oh, I'm not wearing a goddamn mask. And there's all types of phenomenon like that, phenomena like that, that can take a different road than what these experts think it's going to take, right?
1: Great, great point. And, and I'll say, like, even put the rebellion part aside, you have a, you have a more, um, I don't want to say more benign, but <clears throat> a, a different social implication, right? People are wearing a mask. Guess what? they suddenly think they're protected and they're going to, they're, they're going to be interacting more. We, we saw this. I, I still, I, I tweeted this a few years ago. Um, It was a bunch of CNN reporters and it's back in April, 2020. And they were, they were kind of doing their virtue signal. They all had their mask on and they're all huddled together for a selfie and their faces are touching almost in their masks. I'm like, we're in the middle of a pandemic and they're wearing masks. They think clearly, like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I have a mask on. I'm safe." Well, guess what? You know, like if these masks aren't fitted properly, they're, they're going to offer you no protection. Um, and and I think that photo offered a great illustration of this. Like people, when they wear masks, they're going to, they're going to be interacting more. They're going to huddle more. They're going to, and that's just natural because we feel we're protected. And, you know, I I published an article today on Feeve, you know, anybody listening can go check it out. Um, It was, you know, I I hate to always go back to the pandemic stuff, but I did, it it was on masking and there was two studies came out, one in the UK and a different one in, in frontiers of health. And one study showed all the harms associated with masking. Okay. It was a, it was a meta-analysis that looked at thousands of studies. turns out like there are all these harms that are, are associated with masking and, and they're not surprising. Um, you, you labored breathing, higher, higher heart rate. Um, there's a, there's a dozen things that, that, you know, health implication for maybe for younger guys or people, you know, your age, my age, maybe they're not a big deal. Older people, yeah, some of these, these are real health consequences. Um, and, and a different study came out days later, and it was at a UK hospital, one of the ho- largest hospitals in the UK. And it's they looked at their hospital for ten months, and they measured COVID transmission in the hospital with the mandate, masks um, and without, and there was no, no difference, no difference at all. You know, and it's funny. The, 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 their own conclusion is there's no discernible impact in our policy. And, and so so what we have are two studies that come out. One shows there's, there, are, there are clear harms, okay, clear harms. The other one shows there's no discernible impact for this policy. So I, I think, you know, it, you couldn't, you couldn't say those things in 2020 because it was an uproar. Like, you want to get people killed. Um, now we have more and more science coming out on this. And I think the record will be clear. Um, I think, you know, more and more people in public health will, will come forward and say, yeah, we got it wrong. Um, like, we, we really need to learn from this. Dr. Fauci won't. No, I, I doubt he will. <laughs> he's never going to come around. He, you know, uh, but but I I don't, you know, that that's okay. He can he can stick to his guns. I just want other profe- you know, medical professionals and health professionals to to be able to say, you know, what, yeah, we made mistakes. We need to learn, you know, from these and do better next time.
0: You know, it just occurred to me in regard to some of the risks of, of mask mandates. A, a few months ago, I went to take my driver's test, and it was mandated that I wear a mask when the instructor's in the car with me. But I wear glasses. So what ends up happening now? I got this mask over my face, and my glasses are steaming. So to you know, you want to protect this guy because I might have COVID. Meanwhile, I'm driving a car with my glasses fogged up. And I mean, you iterate that across the society, you know, that type of thing, and that type of collateral consequence that you're you're not anticipating, and you can have a lot of risks that are being assumed.
1: That's so- just it. We can't even we can't even think of all the the trade offs for that policy, right? Is it protecting people a little bit? I, you know, like so, some people think yes. I, I, I tend not to. Um, but we know, like, like there are all these these consequences. Speech impediments, right? You know, learning is inhibited with these things. Acne, like some of these things, people like, uh, oh, wait, you know, like they'll they'll brush off. But but wait until your your kid has a speech impediment or is suddenly can't, you know, struggling with learning, or if your child's deaf and needs to read lips and suddenly can't. Um, these are serious things. And people just want to brush those things aside. Um, and again. I'm not gonna tell people how to live their lives. If you if you want to mask, you know, go ahead. I, I had a friend that was masking before any mandates and, and he's a really smart guy. He's, he's a good person whose opinions I respect and he believed it was gonna help and him and his family were masking like crazy. And I didn't think he was an idiot for it. I didn't think he was a fool. You know, like I was like, oh, okay, maybe he knows something I don't, I, I don't know. Um, if you want to mask, okay, but when you start to, to force other people Um, it's a problem and it comes with all kinds of, you know, social problems. We saw, we saw, I don't remember if you remember this one, but a woman was walking through the subway and her mask was too low and the police started to talk to her and she just kept walking. Well, they finally grabbed her and she, you know, like resists that much. And then she's body slammed. She's body slammed by police. um, In front of her children. Right. Um, This isn't, the way to construct society with, with, with force in this way, if you don't do what we tell you, um, we're going to, we're going to arrest you. We're going to, we're going to shut you down. Um, We we really need to rethink this. And, and I I think that this is one of the things, um, again, why libertarians were able to think about this on different lines and see through there's a knowledge problem, but there's also just this idea. I think, I think we, you know, instinctively understand that, that, Force is not the way to build a society, right? Um, voluntary action is a good way to kind of har- you know harnessing that, you know, using incentive, good, healthy incentives. That's the way to you know to do things. Um, but but you know, I think there is growing like like people look at government is government, you know, they know what they're doing. They'll come up with a plan, follow it, and, and just get on board. And I think that was one of the things that really frightened me in this pandemic is just how how people were just. Like, well, of course we're gonna listen. Of course we're gonna, and and we're not gonna. No, don't debate it. Don't. We don't care. You gotta listen. You gotta get in line on these things. And um, that's seeing that, um, it, it, that, that wasn't the America I I remember. You know, growing up, right? Like, there, it, it, and I, I think we've become much too comfortable with government. I think we we need to learn some lessons that that government isn't a a, a force that actually is good at achieving anything. It's a necessary evil. And when you try to use it, you know, in, in constructive ways to do good, it it's going to backfire, you know, every time.
0: So what about the idea that Sweden has a vastly different culture than what we have? So for instance, if you just leave it up to, like you said, voluntary associations, they're a more respectful society. Maybe they are more community oriented so they would voluntarily perhaps take the type of measures that Americans wouldn't take if we weren't to if we weren't forced into doing it. Is there anything to that line of thought?
1: Well, here's the thing. I, I think, you know, who gets to assess risk, right? I think if you go back in early March, even before there was lockdowns, I remember we we drove to Wisconsin. We live in Minnesota, we, we drove to Wisconsin. There was not a car on the road. It was a ghost town, right? And uh, you'd go to the gas station, not a soul inside. And and I remember, I don't think I was wearing masks, but I think I might've had gloves on. And again, it was kind of, but I'm like, you know what, we had plans to go, we're gonna go. And I, I made a choice, I'm like, there's this virus going around. This is right before lockdown, you know, I think it was after this weekend is when lockdowns came down. And, um, but I'm like, you know what? I am just going to we're going to you know live our life is there a risk yeah there's always risk there's a risk driving across the country so you assess those risks and you make a choice a lot of people looked to assess that risk and and what they do they 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 didn't make my choice they said you know what there's a deadly virus going around i'm going to just kind of chill out i'm not going to go outside and when we got to my buddy's house in Appleton Wisconsin we went out for dinner and restaurants were pretty empty and um like nobody really knew what was coming but individuals are assessing risk, right? And um, here's the thing: if it, if this virus had been worse than what it was, you would have had people that are going to be like, "Oh no, I'm not going," you know. But the truth was, um, you know, th- th- we've we've seen viruses like, like this before. It's very similar to the H1N1 of of you go back in the late 50s, and you ask you if you look the, the the fatality rate of that virus very similar to COVID, um, ask people who lived, you know, back then, if they remember that they don't, they don't even remember going through that, even though you had tens and tens and tens of thousands of people that died. Um, if not hundreds of thousands, I forget the exact, you know, it it was hundreds of thousands and it was a much smaller population then. Um, all these people died, but they kind of went on with their lives. Um, they were assessing that risk. Right. And there was even back then there were some schools that were shut down. Um, but I think people will assess risk and and I this idea that Americans are gonna be like more freewheeling and crazy than people in Sweden I don't really buy that and and again, I think you can work you know we saw this you you can't have public health departments that give recommendations to people and say you know what we think large gatherings are really dangerous right now we're gonna you know um people will listen to that and and then they're gonna see like you know um, you know, how dangerous is it? You know, um, you know, we, we saw it with, with like Sturgis back in 2020. Um, they didn't know they should shut it down or not. Um, you know, they ended up having it and some people claimed it was a super spreader event. Um, at the same time, you have other people that are going back for football games, you know, um, again, people are going to make these assessments. And, and I think the, the biggest lesson is we really, the virus is going to virus, and you know, like I, I think this idea that um, it's within the power of you know people in Washington D.C. or the state capital to come up with the right you know way to um, they don't they, the, you know we, we have to understand that it, it's th- this virus is going to be going around, and I think it's it's just and reflective of, of of simple sanity and humility to say, guess what, we're going to offer recommendations but you know th- this is a serious thing and take take precautions instead of pretending that you have all this knowledge and that that was the problem they were pretending you know it, it, you mentioned hayek it's the pretense of knowledge right we're pretending we have all this knowledge they don't and, and, and it, it, you can you can see it in the results of their policies they they didn't have the knowledge but they were pretending they did and they were pretending to you know uh orchestrate Engineer society in this way that was going to be you know effective and safe it, it was all it was really a charade the fatal conceit, right? The fatal conceit
0: <laughs> so this I like to get your take on something and it's a little bit it, it's, it has to do with COVID but it's office of, office of Sweden. how it's very difficult to make decisions in a society where on one hand, you had your your faucis and your your government bureaucrats telling you, lockdown, it's the only way you got to wear masks or everybody's going to die. I mean, that's obviously hyperbole, but nonetheless, you know, we're going to have these high death rates. This is a very serious virus. But then on the other hand, we had people saying the virus isn't even serious. It's just a common cold or, you know, take hydroxychloroquine or zinc and you're going to cure it. And Trump said, we're going to have this over by Easter. And then he said, well, maybe we could, uh, you know, inject some disinfectant. And plus, you know, Trump, look the guy a liar, and just—I mean—I think most politicians. Politician. Yeah. yeah, well, most—I was going to yeah. say most politicians are liars, but he's far more brazen in his misstatements than, than what they are. So when he would say something, if I don't have direct knowledge of it, my my inclination was to disbelieve what he was saying. But I found myself just not knowing. It gets to the point. It's like, who the hell knows? Is there any way? to solve that? How do we get around that sort of where you have one side says one thing, the other side just says the complete opposite. And they, both sides have their sort of information machines that will pump out, you know, what they want people to think. And the people choose to go to the, the, you know, the information systems that are going to tell them what they think. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I I know that's not what you came on to discuss, but I just
1: figured I'd ask it now that you're here. No, that's a good question. I I don't mind jumping around topics a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I I I mean your assessment of Trump, I think, is pretty good. And guess what? Trump was one of the most vocal critics of Sweden's policy, just to just to really? go back to that. Yes, he was he was very critical. I, I tweeted about it this morning. Um he was he was ripping Sweden on social media, he was ripping them in the press. Um, said they were need- getting all these people killed. Um, which which again brings me back to your point um trump was the worst president you could have had in something like this because he's he has no discipline right he 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 is somebody when i talk about the pretense of knowledge i mean that's trump is does it all the time he's just firing just whatever he feels he's just spouting out there and if you would have had a president that kind of could have um had the right people first because you know like fauci was not the right person and, and fauci's been there a long time you know um I get a little bit why Trump was afraid to fire Fauci cuz that was going to be a, it was like firing Comey right or something that's going to you know be a there's going to be a lot of blowback for that but it, it it had to happen but if Trump could have kept his mouth shut and had people like a a doctor Scott Atlas in there um th- this would have been a, a very different thing and in fact it might never have gotten so crazy because if you if you think back You talked about people saying, oh, the virus isn't going to be a big, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, Trump was one of those and it was downplaying the virus for a week or two. Like just, and finally the the press, you could see the press had enough and they ramped up the fear machine and they scared the hell out of people. And you could, there was a tipping point finally, like, oh, this is going to, you could see it. They got through. Americans are scared. And, and suddenly it's, it's all hell's breaking loose. And and that's kind of what persists. Precipitated this. If you go back, like swine flu, okay, people don't realize it. Swine flu, you know, came, I don't remember is 09 and 2010 or whatever under the Obama administration. Obama's administration was very smart. They didn't want this tracked first of all, like the way we were tracking all the COVID stuff. But swine flu is more deadly to children than COVID. Um, like there's no question. it, it, it was a lot more deadly. Um, but Obama was a cool customer kind of, was able to kind of like create, he, he was able to stop a panic. Right. And if you go back the last 20 years, I don't know if you've seen that meme, but time magazine every year has, uh, you know, every year, every other year, like the, the next pandemic, the, the bird flu and the, like each one. And, um, this one finally took off and it was, you know, granted it was a, 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 a virus that was uh, worse than a lot of the previous ones. Um, but it didn't have to be what it was. Um, you know, like I, I think, um, you know, like even now you have people that were, you know, uh, Lena Wen at CNN, who's like, she's finally come around to saying things that we were all saying in 2020. She wrote something just recently for either CNN or the Washington Post like well, we've been we're overcounting covid deaths. She's like what what's going on here? Why are we doing this? Um you know like there's incentives baked in to overcount covid, right? Every hospital um is the, when you, when you tell hospitals like COVID deaths, you're going to get, you know, all this extra money, guess what? Suddenly you're going to have a lot more COVID, you know, the d- deaths. I, I had family members who died, like they were trying to put COVID on the sheet. Like, well, no, he didn't have COVID. What are you doing? They're like, oh, oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. You're right. Um So, so yes, we, we are going to look back and re- we're going to realize like you, like COVID was deadly, very deadly. I had it. I don't know. Have you had it, Michael? Yes it was rough on me. I was pretty sick. You know, I was, I was down for days. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't want to minimize the virus at the same time, all of this was in, in inflated and um, the, uh, nothing more than the fear, the fear. And if you ask people, like, you know, we, we've done some stuff at fee on this um, and Bill Maher later, I think used some of our stuff and did a segment on it. It was great. Um, if you look and just polled people on on the fatality risk of of COVID, you had progressives that thought it was like fifty percent, like they thought if you get COVID <laughs> you're gonna die. Like, yeah, it, it's really like they they scared the hell out of people with this stuff. And I say they, I I mean mostly the 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 public health bureaucracy and the media. Um, and and, and what else did they do? You know, you asked about you know what do we do to have these discussions. They kind of, you know, were, we're going on that same vein. They said, "Well, we can't have these doctors over here. Are you know these great Barrington guys are? They're 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 saying stuff that contradicts us. So we're gonna sick reporters on them and try to smear them and try to, you know, call them, you know, like they, like they're crazy guys from Harvard, guys from Stanford, you know, from Oxford." Um, that was what they, they said, we can't have all the, all this information out there. We got to have one, we got to have one set of information. Well, it doesn't work that way. And, you know, you brought up, you know, alternative treatments like ivermectin, uh, hydroxychloroquine and all this. I, I have no idea if these are effective or not. Even media today, like, oh, unproven medicines. Well, well guess what? You know, like, y- yeah, like that's sort of like, we don't know yet the best treatments. And, you know, I think we're getting closer um, but this idea that the media would freak out if you were offering other treatments that might have had, you know, they're worse. There were solid studies out there that, that suggested these might have uh, been effective treatments. Well, they, they weren't random, you know, you know, blind random studies. And um, yeah, OK. The, but the truth is, we didn't know Um you don't go take a doctor's license for prescribing that. And that's what we saw, you know, or, 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 or getting them, you know, like, like you did, you, you had physicians that lost their licenses um, that were removed from boards and all this because they they were offering other alternative treatments. Um, and again, I don't know if I didn't take any of those things when I had COVID. Okay. Um, but this presumption that, Oh, we have the knowledge. And, and if you stray from what we're, if you stray from our remedies, we're going to punish you. That's that. That's really frightening to me. I don't. I. I don't think that, especially when, like I said, we're we're dealing with these treatments. You know, whether it's vaccines or other things, in, in real time, we don't know the best treatments, and you 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 got to just kind of trust medical professionals in good faith. They're going to try to 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 give what you know what, what to their patients what they think is going to help them. And if there are adverse things, of course you need to like we need to know about those things. But that doesn't just apply to you know ivermectin. It also applies to vaccinations. And and that was something that bothered me throughout the pandemic is you you could not you know talk about vaccine injuries. And it was something that I, I have an article coming out. It'll come out next week on the the campaign of information where even if you are sharing true information they were going to remove it because it was undermining their narrative. Um, This is what we we never would have known the extent of this if not for the Twitter files. Right. Um, But some, you know, David Zwieg, a good reporter, Matt Tavey um, or Tavey, another great reporter. um, They've been talking about all these things and this idea that they were going to censor, Information, even admitting it was true, but because it was going to increase, you know, vaccine hesitancy and, and things like this, to me, that's very that's like Orwellian. Um, and and um, so I I understand, you know, like you, you, your question's good. Like we have all these, you know, who do we believe? Because you you're right, we have people out there saying like, oh, COVID's just a, a hoax; it doesn't really kill you. Um, all this stuff, and then you have people out there, you know, with this other message information you you got to let it flow um and you try to you try to do your best to give good guidelines but i think some of that was a reaction too because you had you know once the public health bureaucracy started to ramp up their own message and silence anybody that that kind of said anything else it fueled this conspiracy mindset right yeah. um and, and it was weird like it was like you had people that i'm like no like um, I, had, you know, like people that would ask me like, Oh, do you think I should get vaccinated? I'm like, well, I, I do. I mean, cause you're in that age group. I, I said, but don't take it from me. Like, I'm not a doctor, you know, ask your doctor and, um, but like, they weren't afraid they were going to get microchipped, but you know, like there was all these things flying around and I'm like, people kind of just need to, um, you know, try to find information you trust, try to ask a lot of people and then make, make what you think is an educated decision. Um, but don't rely on Fox news. Don't rely on CNN. You know, don't rely on Anthony Fauci. Like, like, um, you know, again, that's my advice. Um, Pick people that you think are uh, you can trust and and that might not have an agenda that just you know and and try to find voices that um you know weigh weigh some information excuse me uh, against other information and um just make the best educated decision you can you know uh one of the most interesting dynamics of of the politics
0: of this thing I remember when Dr. Fauci said that masks won't help. We don't need to be wearing masks. And then later he admitted, well, I said that because I didn't want to create a panic. And conservatives were up in arms that he would be giving out misinformation like that, even if it was to to prevent the panic. On the left, they had nothing to say about it. There was no real criticisms. Not that I remember, because I'm sure somebody will point out, well, what about this guy? But it wasn't vociferous. It wasn't like the, the conservative backlash to it. And then later on, it came out in the Bob Woodward interview that Trump, he said, well, he downplayed it at the beginning because he didn't want people to panic. Now, the left was up in arms that Trump would lie and conservatives were saying, well, well, you know, he wanted to, to prevent a panic. And you just you can't I don't want to say survive because that, that'd be a bit much. But I don't know how we function when that's the response, when people just respond based on who's saying something and not on what's said. If if my guy lies, it's okay. If your guy lies, it's the end of the world. So I got one more question for you before I let you go. Let me just make
1: one point real oh, quick yeah. on Oh that. go
0: ahead, go ahead, yeah. So, you All know,
1: means. cause you, you're right about Fauci and, and, and this is something though I looked at as well. Um, he did say, you know, later on, well, I said that cause I didn't want to cause a panic. But if you look, We have emails too. And he was saying this, not just publicly, he was saying it privately. And to me, that says Fauci actually believed this. Like he was, he was, these were personal friends. Okay. And Fauci was saying, you know what, wearing a mask is really not going to help you. Um, And just giving advice to someone. Um, So to me that if it's a private correspondence and you're offering that advice to me, I, I think I think Fauci actually believed. Like, you know what? Like, because he he was let's be clear, he was he was saying the same thing as the World Health Organization, same thing as a Surgeon General. Um, for years we, we've said, you know what, masks are a pretty bad way, you know, pretty poor ineffective yeah. way to, to 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 you know reduce transmission. So
0: yeah, I I will kick
1: it back to you with I, that, but
0: yeah, that's a, a good point. I didn't know there was private emails. I'm I'm glad you brought that to our attention. That's excellent. So my question is this. Say a year from now, pandemic hits another pandemic and the government same scenario you got to do this you got to wear mask lockdown will people go for this again? do you think uh, no or,
1: you don't think I don't so? think so not right now um again, it could it, it depends um it depends on a lot of things look i I, I think a lot of this was driven. I kind of made this point earlier by by the fact that we were kind of in the it, it was Everything was so loony. You had Trump running for re-election. The media despised Trump with a, with something that we've never seen in in, in our lifetime. Um, and I think all of that kind of lended itself to this this overreaction. And um, I I don't think here here's what I would say. The next crisis is going to be a different crisis. But here, so we're not going to re- overreact to this one this time. If we had another pandemic, we're not going to we're not going to go into this. We're going to learn some of that lesson but there's going to be a different crisis. I don't know what it is, but we're going to, we're going to struggle the same way. And we're going to, it's going to be, you know, um, central planning, it's going to be bureaucratic. Um, And and we're going to have some of the same failings in that. Don't know, you know, like that, but that's just sort of me. If I don't know, do you read uh, Robert Higgs at all? Uh, out there. only
0: on the great depression and yeah coming crisis and of else, leviathan
1: so. is, is one of his books and you know i think H- higgs makes a you know the thesis of the book is you know we have all these crises and it, it's sort of like that's when you have massive uh encroachment of, of government and civil liberties and, and because it, it, that's when government grows and you have this ratchet effect government gets all its power then it gives a little back but not not all of it and I think what we're seeing now is that we just have crises that are manufactured. Um, and I don't mean manufactured in that they're not real. Um, COVID was real. 9-11 was real, right? Like 9-11, like, but it was still, we, we took a crisis and and blew it up something way beyond what it should have been. Um, and so the next crisis, we're going to overreact to that one too. And it's going to be all hands on deck, a massive government crisis, um, you know, intervention and growth on this huge scale, Um, and 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 so that's my fear. We're going to see another crisis, whether it's a, a bank crisis, right? Like, oh my gosh, maybe we're seeing it already. You look at SVB, and already like the government's overreacting to that, saying, oh, we're gonna we're we're gonna have all these, you know, deposits, not just the people that are. We're gonna guarantee those, not just up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but we're gonna guarantee them all well what's that going to do right what's what's the moral hazard there i don't think it's hard to see you you could see this massive consolidation of banking and what's that going to do like it's going to so whatever the next crisis is um get ready for an overreaction and it's going to be the response is always the same more government right whatever the crisis is that the response is going to be oh we need government to get all in, in this huge massive you know the war on whatever, you know, the war on COVID, the war on terror, the war on fill in the blank. Um, And you're going to have some dissenting voices out there like myself and fee and others in the libertarian community saying, this is not the way. And, and hopefully they'll listen. Um, you know, cause our track record on this stuff is pretty good. Um, you know, whether it's the war on terror or COVID or whatever, um, you know, like once you start to recognize this pattern, um, you can, you can spot this stuff and argue against it. Um, but getting people to listen is, is hard. And, um, yeah, I, I talked to somebody, a, a great author the other day, he was a libertarian. He said, Oh, libertarians suck at marketing. <laughs> they and do. I think he was on to, you true. know, like, yeah, like, like hey, we, we get the ideas, right. Um, but, but, but marketing, eh, we don't really get that. And, um, you know, just trying to get our voices heard. I think we're getting better. Um, I think we're improving, but you know, the, the truth is, you know, it's the same thing. I've said for years, like libertarians, we're not good at journalism, right? Like, you, there's not a there's some you 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 can, but you can count on, like on your hand how many the great libertarian journalists. Um, the on the on the left, they they have all they have you know tons of good journalists, tons of great outlets to write for. Um, you know, libertarians aren't as good at, at that, and it makes it harder to get our message out there. Um, but I think we're having some success. Like, I think I think Fee's been having success. I think other libertarian or you know organizations you know um, I was disappointed in 2020 that more didn't really take a, a strong stance on COVID. Like it's something I think some did eventually, right. A lot of them like by 2021 or 22, like they were, they had found the, found their voice. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we need to to get better at that. And, and, the, and some of it's just courage, right? Like I get it. Some of our ideas um, all this runs, you know, our ideas aren't popular, Overall, but then inside the, the beltway that especially like they're, they're kind of sneered at. Um, but we can't let that, you know, the principles are principles. They're right. And we need to champion those principles um, even when it's not popular to do so.
0: Spot on. So before you go, is there anything else? Did we miss anything? Anything you want to add?
1: No, not really. Like uh, if, if readers, you know, I, I mentioned feel a lot. Uh, I, I have a sub stack too. It's, it's under like JJ Milt, um at gmail.com on substack and uh, it's called the take. So if, if anybody listening like wants to check out my writing there, I I publish every day. Um and it's something like I just enjoy. It's a place where I can get my message. Most of it's mostly libertarian stuff, but sometimes I wade more into culture or or you know music or movies and and that stuff too um you know like it's but that's my platform i'm trying to grow it i'm trying to get a thousand subscribers and um i've only had it for you know a few months now but it's it's growing pretty good so check out that uh other than that i just i appreciate the the invitation to come on your show and and talk uh with you about all this all this stuff
0: well thank you i'd love to have you back because you're very informative All right. For now, I'm Michael Leibowitz. This is The Rational Egoist. Remember, like, share, subscribe, and we'd love to hear your comments, feedback. Please let us know. Have a good day.